Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 67. Today on the show, I have Chong Ji, expert in foot and fascial performance and founder of Secret of Athleticism. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Glad to have you all listening with us today. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and as I mentioned in the intro, we have Chong Ji. Uh, Chong is a guy that if you are a strength coach or track coach, chances are you are not familiar with him. I was introduced to his work after I actually posted a Jay Schrader um, or not a Jay Schrader article, but uh, a plyometric of the week on low foot squat jumps that was made popular by Jay Schrader, which was a kind of a, uh, you get into a half or deep squat position and hop up and down in that position. I think that was air alert three's secret exercise. I don't, I don't know. I just used air alert one or two for a few weeks when I was 15 and didn't keep in the air alert vein of things. Um, but, uh, after writing that little plyometric of the week assessment on that low foot squat jump, which I do think is a great exercise for foot strength and kind of connection upstream. And I do think that is probably something that, uh, Jay's athletes were getting out of that as well. But someone had mentioned to me, how are you familiar with, um, Chong Ji, uh, secret of athleticism? Have you ever heard of his work? And so I was like, no, but I will check it out. And so uh, after that, I kind of went to a few, went through Chong's uh, website, through his YouTube channel, Instagram account. And I was honestly like really, really intrigued. I was like, wow, this stuff is a lot different than things that I have heard, but it makes really good sense. And I, for this podcast, for Just Fly Performance Podcast, obviously, like many podcasts, I want to have, I try to get some of the biggest influencers around influencers in our field, well-established coaches, well-known coaches, and the ones I've had have been awesome, amazing, have done a great job. But also on the flip side, I really like kind of finding almost uh, diamonds in the rough, in the rough, if you will. Not that Chong isn't well-known. He certainly is very well-known, I think, in the dunk and basketball community uh, in, that, in that niche there. I haven't seen his name propagated amongst performance coaches and that's probably because he's not a strength coach he's a he has a degree in computer science he works as a technical analyst he's uh he has a day job and this uh his quest on the foot and its relationship to performance has been a a hobby uh, that he is truly passionate about and he's put uh, many years of research into this and uh, to be honest it's it is interesting because we 
and just doing this podcast, you start to see where do we get our information from as a community. Um, a lot of times it's from a very small amount of sources. And one of the things I want to do in this podcast is start to open up some of those sources. And, and t- I'll tell you what, the sources that I really like seeing and listening to are those people who aren't necessarily going with the trends, but they are looking at the best athletes, the freak athletes that we often write off and say, oh, they're just a freak, whatever, who cares? You know, they can do whatever they want. Um, and, and saying, okay, well, what is it that makes that freak athlete good? Because a lot of times, well, guess what? That freak athlete, you know, couldn't squat double body weight in the weight room or even 1.5 maybe in some cases, and yet they could still jump out of the gym. Or uh, it just things like that. And a lot of times we just blow it off uh, but looking at either the technique or the structure of some of these very high performers, we do tend to see commonalities. That is something that has drawn me to the work of Chong Ji, uh, and his insight is excellent. He has a martial arts background, as he will uh, explain as we get into the show. But just like it's a holistic aspect of performance, going back to even what did these ancient martial art, martial art practitioners focus on? in developing athleticism what have people been looking at for years and uh in in a literal sense what is literally right under our nose that we aren't looking at in performance and that's the foot and, and that foot has been a i really like to focus on that for this podcast because it's something that i don't think a lot of people talk about per se i think it's something that does demand attention not just the foot itself not just doing sitting there doing toe crunches and those things but taking a holistic and integral view of how the foot is influencing upstream structures like the glutes its role in fascia and fascial tensioning and basically what makes good athletes uh, and uh, one thing that I, I like that I've, I've either read either read or heard from Chong is basically like you take an average Joe off the street and have him get him stronger and have him lift weights and all these things and you get a more powerful version of the average Joe they're still leaking force all over the place uh, where you take a great athlete someone who's got great feet and good tensioning and have them lift and do this power stuff. And yeah, they're going to improve. They're going to get better. And they're going to be a, a very powerful version of a well-tensioned athlete. And so a lot of it's just like filling in the cracks for athletes who do slip through, as well as finding little ways to make already good athletes better. Uh, on this podcast as well, just list the things we're going to cover as I've been describing this for a little bit of what, uh, as I've been describing this for a little while, but we're going to talk about Chong's background and how he got so interested in the foot we're going to talk about common features of what is an athletic foot for sprinting and jumping, as well as general explosive athletic feats. What does that foot look like? We're going to talk about the dynamics and ramifications of weightlifting and the foot. We're going to talk about fascia versus muscle-driven athletes, which was just an awesome little bit. Described so much, like all these things that clicked all of a sudden listening to Chong talk to this about this. We're going to talk about some exercises for the feet, as well as elite basketball players, how the feet play even a role in shooting. So just a quick note uh, before we get started, Chong has a product called uh, Secret Athleticism where he has a book and video where he describes something called the Hyper Arch. Uh, The Hyper Arch uh, is a mode of foot tensioning based off of what elite athletes do naturally. We talk about it throughout the show. Chong references it specifically in a few spaces. It certainly isn't the focus of the show. We go into a lot of performance elements. However, uh, in many cases, he will just refer to it as tension. Uh, so, But if he says hyperarch, that's what he is referring to. And as coaches, we certainly know ways to put tension into the foot, short foot, or clawing the, the toes down before going into a calf raise. Uh, but Chong's version is very advanced. He has a system out of it. It's really cool stuff. But I just wanted to mention that because I, I didn't want to put this episode out having it revolve around something that 
you as a listener might not be familiar with, but I would definitely recommend looking into um, the system itself. Uh, finally, before we get to this, uh, so if you like the show, please leave us a rating or review, uh, give us five stars. Uh, if you do, we'll read your rating or review on the air and we'll send you some Just Fly Sports or Simply Faster gear, uh, such as the coveted Simply Faster mug. <laughs> so just wanted to read a quick one before we got started, and that's Rob Assis. Uh, and he's uh, Rob wrote, must subscribe. This podcast is a must listen for anyone that deals with enhancing athletic performance. It is off to such a great start because Joel has had amazing guests on the show, and he is able to create quality dialogue with them. I look forward to listening every week. So, Rob, thanks for leaving that. Uh, I'll be at a year ago, but I, I appreciate it. you were one of the first ones. So we're, we're going to send you some uh, Simply Faster mug in the mail, and uh, we'll get that out to you. Again, please leave a rating or review. That's enough of my pre-roll. Let's get on to this show. Chong Ji, A Secret of Athleticism. Chong, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's uh, before we get started with some of these questions, and man, I'll tell you, I've been in a, on a, a journey to learn more about the feet and athletic performance, and I think your work really stands out. Uh, could you give about maybe five minutes on your background uh, and how you have learned so much about this important topic of performance? Sure. Uh, so I, I, I'm not like uh, a doctor or anything in the field of uh, feed or kinesiology. I have a background in computer science. Uh, but when I was young, um, I practiced martial arts. So there's a lot of uh, that, uh, you know, uh, perspective into what I what I do today. It's like you have to look at the body holistically instead of, you know, in uh, segmented parts. Uh, so the, so also my um, um, I play a lot of basketball, and I used to have chronic knee pains by following some of the jump programs out there. Um, so that just made me very, very curious as to how I'm supposed to cure myself because I went to a lot of uh, doctors and they couldn't do anything for me. Um, that really just piqued my curiosity. And then it's not until I, I met a very athletic friend who's also Asian, uh, it's one of those days that, uh, you know, I look at his foot and his foot is completely different than mine. And I started to ask a number of questions and he couldn't answer me. So that just prompted me to, to do research. And I just did years of research on this and go, went through a lot of trial and error. And I, I developed the theory and then it worked. Uh, not only for me, but also the people that were willing to be helped. And I'm uh, very happy to, to tell everyone that we have a Division One basketball athlete coming from the system. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something worthy of years of research. Uh, and I think that a lot of more, uh, a lot more hopefully uh, will be put in uh, by uh, or be inspired to be put in by a lot more people because of what you're doing. I, uh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about like your friend's foot or, or the feet of, of great athletes. And by great athletes, I mean... Um, people who can jump high, run fast, who can absorb and release the ground quickly, uh, people who might not have huge numbers in the weight room but can still do amazing dunks and run run very fast. What are some common features of an athletic foot? Right. Like the, the things that you mentioned uh, about putting great numbers in the gym, like the weight, weight strength training-wise and then how it doesn't really correlate to uh, how, they, how the body moves 
that's something that I asked myself also doing this research. Why is it, you know, this guy, he's not even lifting heavy weights. He couldn't lift weights, but he's jumping really high and, and he's really immobile. What's going on here? So also like, you know, the tradition, traditional sense of, of if you look at LeBron James foot, uh, the doctors will say it's bunions, uh, hammer toe is also flat feet. But my research reveals it's, it's the exact opposite. The reason that LeBron's feet look like that actually has specific health reasons. Uh, my work is really to reverse the, the process behind it so the regular people and athlete can apply it to their foot. So once the, uh, the uh, catalyst is introduced, the, the foot begins to morph. Uh, which kicks off this holistic chain of reaction in the body, and that that's when the you know the magic happens. So um, when you ask about like common features of the good athletic foot, I, I will tell you it's it's very different. Like it's nature versus nurture. Um, when we think of features, we say we you know, people tend to think of like long legs versus short legs. Which one is better? You know, uh, but it's not like that. So because. First, everyone's foot is different. They're born differently. Uh, some people born with high arc, some people born with middle, you know, medium arc, some people with low arc, and some people no arc. And some people born with Greek foot, where the second toe is lar- longer than the big toe. Um, and there are people born with flat feet. You can sh- you can see with any arc, but that doesn't mean that their glutes don't function. So if if you t- if you want to really dig down to the features, you will notice that. Uh, Elite athletes, they have calluses or blisters on top of their toes. Also, the prominence of the anterior tibial tendon. And in some cases, when they press down their foot, you also can notice the prominence of the extensor tendons on top of the foot. Now, on the bottom of the foot, there's distinct areas of impact. The impact is on the uh, metatarsal. It should be aligned on the second with the second second area of the second toe. Also, like if you if you were to touch the toes of the elite athlete, they're like claws. Very, very stiff. It's not soft at all. Where regular people, their shoe, their uh, their feet are shielded by the shoe, they don't have any tension in the foot. The foot relaxes itself over time. So their toes is like really soft. Like you you, you know, you pinch them, it's like you're gonna they're gonna feel pain. So that that are that's some of the big differences you will notice, but again, like you you can't you can't really say okay this guy has this type of foot is better. There's no better or worse. It's really a, a matter of if the foot is linked through the fascia to the glutes and is responsive or not. If it is, that's a good foot. Yeah, right on. I I and I've realized that. Um, or have been this last year. I was talking to um, a Darian Barba, like Bob Hayes, the uh, legendary sprinter in the 60s, and his feet were totally flat. And then we have all these flat-footed athletes who, I mean, everyone just talks crap on flat feet, but they're the flat-footed athletes who can display insane amounts of power and jumping and sprinting are, you can't deny it. So, uh, yeah. Most, I actually, through research, uh, and by looking at a lot of uh, feet from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, uh, it, it's clear that most um, uh, African uh, population have a sort of like a flat arc, but that doesn't mean their their foot is not functional. <laughs> I asked them to to perform the hyper arc, uh, basically putting tension in the foot. They they're able to feel their glutes, 
just fine. There's an, there's no there's no functional deficiency in in that type of uh, foot. And also, if you look at the young kids, young children, toddlers, their foot is looks pretty flat to me. I mean, on the outside, but in the inside, what's going on in the inside is it, it does have a little arc if you look at the the X-ray. But I also what I noticed is during the the infancy of of children, their foot is actually in the hyperarch mode. Their foot is locked, so that's why you don't see any reports of toddlers having ankle sprays until age three. I think that's when the the shoe is being introduced to to kids, and that's when the mechanisms start to to rely more on nature. Oh, sorry, rely on nurture rather than nature. Meaning you have to introduce some type of stimulation for it to lock to lock up. Otherwise, the mechanism just slowly to degenerate and disappear, and that that's one of the the thing I discovered. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that with the the children. Like as soon as I had looked at one of your videos on that, like you poke the foot, like the, what the doctor does to test the reflexes of the child in the hospital. They they poke the bottom of the foot, and the toes just like curl down towards the ground in this like really solid arch. Like, and that's uh. It's really impressive. I'm like, wow, like that's pretty, that is pretty amazing. And then you watch children on the playground, like now that I have a, a 15 month old, you watch kids on the playground running around barefoot versus the kids running around with shoes on. And there's like a huge difference in the quality of ground contacts and how stiffly they're running and moving around. And, and it's, um, it, it really is uh, an interesting uh, in, uh, factor in the equation. Yeah, you have to, and there, there are countless videos of, of babies uh, taking their first steps. If, if you look closely around the, uh, the foot and ankle, you can see they're behaving like a whole unit, which means they're locked. And then they're, they're walking, the gait of, of, their, of their work is, is, is not the same as, as uh, somebody who's, who's uh, walking with, with, the, uh, with the shoe. Uh, but if you compare that to how LeBron James work, walk and how those elite athletes walk, you can find some similarities because they're, 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 their foot and then their shin, they're like one unit when they walk. Yeah, because the, the, the big thing that if, you're, if your foot isn't engaged, if you have an unathletic foot, you don't have tension running through it, um, then, you, then you're going to get that like more dorsiflexion or you're going to get more give right. right on impact, yeah. Right, it's gonna be like floppy, <clears throat> and you can tell very easily. It's not like you can tell subconsciously that person looks weak when they when they move. It's just not that forceful. Whereas you you look at a uh, 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 athlete, like they're just light on their foot, and then and then it's also very like stiff in terms of their the ground time contact. Yeah, I, I think that stuff is fascinating. Uh, Sean, you had mentioned a little bit about the the under the metatarsal, the second uh, the second metatarsal underneath it, because I think a lot of people. I mean, it's easy to say push off your big toe, you know, push off your big toe. But I I feel like and you had talked about the importance of the second toe, because uh, I think people get a little myopic with just pushing off the big toe and these types of things. And and in looking at the feet of some, I after watching some of your videos, I. Uh, I instantly looked at the feet of like I was telling you about that swimmer who had the great vertical but not big weight room numbers and then I also had a guy who was a 45 year old can still dunk <laughs> and I feel like people who have this longevity maybe we can go into that like longevity as an athlete and, and how your feet work but this 45 year old can still dunk look at his foot he's got a super long second toe th uh, third toe and they're curled you know a little callusing on top 
And I'm like, wow, this all makes sense. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about the second toe uh, as a versus sure. big toe and those things? So, so that's one of the questions that I asked when I when I first uh, looked. Uh, you know, again, first I had to look at what's out there in the in, in what's out there in the scientific community. What's what's being described, or how the foot's supposed to hit the ground, and what their observation is. And then I take that and I look at, okay, look at nature. What's 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 really happening? So I had uh, this really great opportunity. I I was able to talk to the great dunker. Uh, Ziani, he grew up barefoot and he was able to uh, trigger the what I call this the hyperarchic mechanism subconsciously. So he had a great contact point right underneath the second toe on the metatorso. And he was, he, I, there's a video I have of him showing me where the contact point exactly it is on his foot. And my athletes are by doing this training, they are starting to develop calluses around that area too. So I know they're doing the exact uh, right things. Uh, it, it's the when you talk about big toe, yes, the big toe does touch the 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 ground, but the majority of the force is actually around that area, which which uh, which darkens uh, when 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 the um, um, when Ziani showed it to us. That's where the optimal contact point is, even though like the foot is, is it's a pretty big area. If you look at the metatarsal area, it's pretty big, but the actual contact point after the morphing with the hyperarch mechanism, it should be aligned with the second toe. And that's where the maximum force is generated. And when he takes off like that, the big toe does push off. So it's like, if you're talking about, uh, if you, if I have to give a priority, the, met, the the contact area should be aligned with the second toe, and then it rolls to the big toe. So that's number one, and that's big toe is number number two, and then it takes off. And, and that's in jumping in his in his uh, in his in, jump. In, in the sense of jumping, yes. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I've been trying to think about over the last year or so is kind of like how sprinting and jumping are a little bit different in in the way that the the force rolls off the toes, and because it it does seem a little bit. I mean, I've been, I've looked at more jumper toes than sprinter, but it seems like a little bit like the the yes, jumpers right. are more second toe and third toe, and, and those are long. And the big the sprinters, it might be a little bit different. You look at, I mean, shoot, you look at Boltzvi, he's got that weird, he's got that weird big toe co- like caving into the middle and and all, and all these things. Um, but it just seems, yeah, there's a little bit different uh, nuances between a, a specialized sprinter and a specialized jumper. Definitely, the uh, it depends on what what sports you you compete in. For example, sprinting, you're just going one direction as fast as you can. There's no braking, so sometimes you don't see those uh, calluses on top of the toes because the, you don't have the brake for direction. So the foot definitely looks different. Uh, again, also different type of a foot morph differently. So if you take a, uh, a African foot, for example, and you apply the same method of training, and you take a Asian and, and European uh, uh, descent and apply the same training, their foot actually morph differently. But the end result is the same, which means the glutes will start to be responsive. And, and you'll feel a lot of uh, response in your glutes over time and in your abs. And then in terms of basketball, your accuracy of shooting just goes through the roof. 
Yeah, uh, that's that is interesting too with the basketball, and I, I would like to hopefully before the time is up today we can we can get to that a little bit because I think that's uh, it's just such an interesting component of of um, the the first thing that that puts force into the shot, you know, <laughs> like the feet the coming through the feet. Um, but I, what, the thing I really want to talk to you about, uh, or one of the the main things uh, on the top of the list, is talking about the glutes. Uh, so the 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 difference between the foot and then the glutes like in in uh let's say weightlifting so an athlete's doing a squat and they have no tension in the feet but yet their coach you know told them all these cues about activating the glutes um and 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 i i see it a lot in like power lifters who have you know giant spinal erectors big hamstrings big quads but their glutes aren't like they're not otherworldly you know they're not like huge they're not like proportional like a sprinter or like a you know those types of things. So, can you talk a little bit about the the impact of the foot on activating the glutes, and then as well as what we might see in the weight room? Um, yeah. So let let's say uh, let's talk about uh, lifting weights, right? So um, when you talk about the back the ba- uh, the back squat, that's probably the most uh, common uh, exercise you see in the gym. Uh, there's there's uh, coaches who say okay you have to uh, have a, a certain angle of your body but there's really no no cue to as to what your foot should be doing they probably did talk about the position wise of your feet how how wide it should be but there's no mentioning of oh your feet has to have tension or you have to worry about your contact point uh, or, you know you should have your feet locked and, and anything like that now the body the body actually follows this uh, concept of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. I, I don't know if you know the concept. I, I can I can talk about this a little bit. So it's very simple. It's is is one if the one part of the muscle or even part of it if it's dysfunctional, then the whole stabilization function in turn is disturbed. So the quality you know the quality of the uh, the movement is compromised. So just like a domino domino blocks, it propagates from one block to another. And then you kick off a uh, a, 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 a mechanism that try to compensate the lack of uh, function of one part of the muscle. So when the glutes is not a dominant uh, group, muscle group, the other part of the body will try to take over. So that, that's one thing I find really interesting is that the strength coach, they will, they will train, um, you know, uh, Gave the same uh, same program to athletes that are that that are have that are having different fascia response in their glutes. So meaning, so in my in my line of research in this hyperarch system, you have you have level one, which means if you if you put tension in the foot, you have no response in the glutes. You have number level two, where you put tension in the foot, you have some sort of response in the glutes, and you have level three where you have you put a little bit of tension in the foot, strong contraction in the glutes. Now the dominance of the glutes is different in three all these stages. So if if you put the same exercise to to all apply to all three different levels, you can get very very different results. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's a uh, that is really interesting to think about. I, mean, I think we would a lot of strength coaches, uh, myself included, uh, being a strength coach, would classify athletes according to their ability and things like an overhead squat. But what we look at is always joints. You know, what's your 
your uh, your pelvis doing? What's your spine doing? What's your shoulders? How can we fix these? No, and but the foot. When people get to the foot in like an overhead squat, it's just oh, your ankle doesn't flex forward enough. Like let's let's put a band on there and have you do some mobile. Like no one looks beyond that. No one looks at the actual tension running through the foot itself or the the toes. What the toes are doing or which toe and and uh, so basically, you're saying that different athletes, based on where they are with their feet, pr- should probably be coached a little bit differently in, in how they're squatting or address that. Yes, the, they they you have to you have to understand where the squat this history of squat where it's coming from. The we have the natural athlete first. Nature always have the natural athlete first without all the weights. Then we have the weights because we have deficiencies in performance then we say okay let's have the theory uh, we believe the theory is the people who can run as fast lack strength so let's put these people on, on squat and make them stronger to match the performance of those naturally gifted athletes but my theory is no the the, the naturally gifted ta- athlete are not any stronger moving external weights but because their body is structured differently via the fascia system, the fire, the fascia neurological system, they can put much more force into the ground. That's why they're able to go much faster, jump much higher. Then you see in nature, in 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 uh, in high school basketball, where 13-year-old can dunk. Now, if you think about 13-year-old, very little muscle hypertrophy. There is no muscle development for 13-year-old. They're almost like just regular, regular person. They're skinny, but they able they able to dunk. And then you 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 have you have all these uh, big muscle. We have you know the the the, the weightlifting uh, regimen and program has been there for a very long time, and it's very complete. And we have a lot of knowledge on it. And all these training coaches, but they cannot do it. They cannot do it effortlessly the way that these natural athletes are able to do. So there is something missing. So my goal is really not to argue that lifting is bad, but my goal is really to find out what is going on with those elite athletes. They don't need to train with weights. How are they able to jump so high? How are they able to run so fast? And my finding is that it's actually through a specific mechanism in the foot that triggers a chain of reaction in the body. Yeah, that's uh, I. And when in that Kadir Ziani uh, interview you had, I think it was part two, he had referred to weights because I mean Kadir is still, I don't know how old he is now, but he is, I mean he's one of those guys who has longevity. I mean that guy, he can get up at age forty like really well, and I, it makes me think about he referred to lifting as a shortcut, like like you do all this weight training and it's you you will see some results, some power output might go up and or will go up in some specific muscles and muscle trains. But it's not the natural. It's not necessarily the natural way, exact specific, specific natural way. And I think that's something people talk about a lot. It's like, well, if you need to get better at something, you should just practice that event, right? If you want to run the hundred meters, practice hundred. If you want to dunk, practice dunking. And obviously, there is some. There's always a little bit more to it than that. But I think that going into uh, and and I, what I've seen too is athletes who who got very good through much so through the use of weights like heavy weightlifting at a certain point they may have made a big jump but then they level off really quick and sometimes yes. they hit a plateau yeah yes so 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 uh, <laughs> if you just talk about lifting weights to increase vertical yes it does have that effect short term wise it does but is it going to be effortless 
No. So what I found out is very interesting regarding jumping. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, it, this, this is something I'm very happy about because because this is this took me a while to understand. The elite athletes, actually, the fascist system takes time to warm up. It's like a it's like an engine. It takes takes time to the neurological system takes time to warm up. They actually their body they work around they move around their body has a lot of tension. Naturally, you will feel the tension once you level up through this training. The regular uh, muscle trained athlete they don't have this tension from the fascia. They're just segmented strong. Their muscle group is very strong. So if you ask them to jump, their their uh, their initial jumps is going to be higher. As time goes by, their the height drops. But a fascia compliant athlete with you know was a natural athlete without no lifting but they jump high what happens in the beginning they jump somewhat low it takes about 10 minutes for them to reach their maximum height so their body has to has to get warmed up the whole their the whole purpose of of the first 10 minutes is just to get that ner nervous system fired up and once that that process takes place they actually jump higher much higher so versus a, a, a muscle trained athlete, you're, you're actually uh, over time you have a decrease in power output. Their their power output actually goes up. So to me, that means the fascist behaving like a rubber band. Initially, you need you need to stretch. That initial stretch is is, is hard. But as you stretch it more, and when the neuro neurological system becomes more connected with all your fascia groups, you can recruit much more muscle. And fascia at the same time, you can actually produce more power. And I, I suggest everyone to check out this this guy. He has a channel online, cool. Stephen Sully. Cool. And you were you were saying too, um, yeah, with Stephen uh, in in our little quick break there, you were saying about uh, the warm up time with with him. Uh, could you actually go into that a little bit? I found that really fascinating. Right. It, it is very fascinating for me. And and then and until I actually replicated what he's saying, I understand. Because the the uh, if you watch Steve Sally's uh, YouTube channel, he has a lot of dunks, uh, where for the first ten minutes it's a struggle for him to even tipping the rim. He could just in the beginning he he was just trying to tip the rim, he's trying to stretch as much as possible, try to get sweat out. He's trying to run sprints. He's trying to get his nervous system fired up. And after the, the first ten minutes, after that you can see him doing all type of dunks windmills two hands dunks everything comes after that he so he's able to jump at least i would say 10 inches higher than when he is not warmed up so this is a big difference between an athlete where where the power is coming from the fascia versus a a athlete who's who's just trained in the gym versus you know via the muscle the, the that type of training in the beginning you have more energy you're gonna jump high in the beginning but as time progresses, after 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you can jump much lower. And also, if you look into how people describe their first dunk, uh, how natural athletes describe their first dunk is uh, after a football practice of two hours, they go into the park. Boom, first dunk happened. But you were like, aren't you tired after two-hour practice? But that's when the fascist system actually is fully awakened. If you're using this system, you're, you're training this body in this way. And 
and my athlete are starting to see this after they hit level four, where the the the, the abs and 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 glutes are connect, more connected through the fascia system. Yeah, that, that to me that's like some really fascinating stuff. It asks actually it answers or or either answers or brings up two big. Uh, questions and thoughts that I'd had over the years. I mean, so like for myself, I was a high jumper, big one leg jumper, naturally one leg jumper. I, I lifted weights in high school. I always noticed when I squatted um, that when I when I what did strength and conditioning class, I did a lot of deep back squats. I didn't naturally like to do it because I noticed every time I would do it, just I, I would instantly get a, a decrease in my one in my one leg jump. Uh, but once I I actually put my nose to grind, so I started back squatting deep for a while. My two leg jump was going up, 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 and it was making me happy because I could do like you know alley oops off two legs and things. And but my one leg jump was going down, 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 which it's almost like that one leg jump relies so much more on the fascia than a, a two leg. You can compensate a little bit. I mean, Kadir Gianni yes. is a is a one leg guy, but yeah, I could I was compensating, if you will, my way to some um, some some cool dunks, and I was happy because for basketball, for my position, I wanted to jump off two legs. But I, I noticed then once I stopped those that squatting for a period of time, let's say two or three weeks, my one leg jump did come back. I actually came back a lot better. But I didn't, it's not like I was doing it for years. And then as I did it for years, squatting for um, especially once I I stopped uh, college track, I noticed man, it was like it's like everything you're saying. Like I. I I lost a lot of that fascial tensioning. I used to my best high jump meets when I jumped seven feet, or I always used to notice that I didn't come into warm ups when I was in college and high school jumping that high, and I wasn't as strong in the back squat that, but I didn't train it as much. But as the meet would go on, I would go up, 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 and like. But once I got way more strength trained in my mid to late twenties, I noticed I would basically how I warmed up. I wasn't gonna go a whole lot higher. Like I would go a little higher, obviously, but it wasn't like the big difference that there was when I was a high school and college athlete. So that is very intriguing to me. Also what you said about, I mean, I see all my, you know, everyone I, uh, I've worked with in, in like, you know, everyone who wants to dunk and, and, and especially a lot of older athletes, they say, I, but I'm the most warmed up after I play basketball. Like that is, everybody says that nobody says, yeah, I warmed up for 15 minutes. I did some sprints and I did some sprint drills and I did this, you know, some dynamic stretches and it's always, yeah, like you said, it's always the end of a long, like, like some pickup games and those things. And that is fascinating to me. And that with the fascia, um, that's just, it puts so many pieces together. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. Yeah, and I also want to say that because because of my uh, my Asian my Chinese background into uh, martial arts studying, uh, the same problem that we are facing today was a big issue centuries ago in in China, where they par- practice martial arts and what what's the best way to train. And there are people that that train with weights, and then and then there are people who don't. So it's very interesting that the the, the first the top three most powerful martial arts in China today. They all involve foot training. The foot training in, in isometric stance is their core, but not weightlifting. Interesting. I'm just gonna, I just want to put it out there for people who are, you know, who who's also like me interested in uh, martial arts. Yeah, I, I like that. I like, um, there's something about the old school and the isometric too. Like like it, it, old school strongmen were so into isometric, you know, barbell position. And those guys were strong, man. Like they could do some stuff that people couldn't do today. And just yeah, the same way if you starting with the feet, starting with an isometric and, and the old school there. It's just it's so cool to hear about the knowledge that people have had for centuries. You know that there's 
there's like there's new stuff but there's stuff that there's some pretty smart people <laughs> you know there's always been some pretty smart people figuring things out and, and and what really makes an athlete tick i like that stuff yeah and also i want to say like uh if you look at olympics uh you, you know one of the things that that's that's talk about strength training wise is olympic lifting right if you look at the the, the history history of olympic weightlifting champions they all mostly from China. Yeah, they're very good in Olympic lifts, but they not good in basketball. There is a very good reason for why that is, because lifting the strength wise, the, the the Asians don't lack don't lack you know, don't lack strength. They, they they don't lack. They can they can develop that very quickly via this Olympic weightlifting movement, and they can get very explosive lifting these weights. But the problem that's different between that and transferring to in the in the sports is because the difference in the feet and uh, very interestingly i actually uh, uh found the, the found out that the foot of uh uh liu xiang he, he he's the guy that win win the the hurdles oh yeah yeah liu Zhan. yeah yeah used to you're probably i i pronounced it totally wrong but oh yeah 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 that, this is my like uh, chinese way of calling his name but, but anyway if you look at his feet it fits the exact hyper arc mode theory his feet is so morphed into the hyper arc mode and i bet this is this is not this is not probably something natural natural to him when he was younger and and he was picked out you know he was he was performing differently but uh but yeah that it, it's it's something totally different and 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 I was, I was, when I was uh, trying to connect all the dots, you know, I was just Googling people's foot. And in my group, I, I often ask people to help me find this elite athlete's foot. Can they find it? Why, you know, they, all, they, always, they always find the foot that's, that's morphed. The result is, is just, it's, it's just, you know, evidence upon evidence upon evidence. You just have to look into it. Yeah, I, uh, man, that's so cool. I think Lujan was a, uh... He was a high jumper, I think, even before he really specialized in hurdles too, which that would make sense then. You know, the ability to to get up and then hurdling too is there's that premium on as soon as the foot comes down off the hurdle, the stiffer you are, the the more efficient you are. So boom, yeah, especially I, you know. when you land and yeah. then take off again, you cannot relax there. If you relax, there's 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 a break in momentum. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've even found luck with uh, like high jumpers in the sense of. Uh, watching them like take off and then there you can just see there's just too much like forward casting of the shin and the takeoff and then i'll have them jump with their shoes off and like it's it's way better it's way better i i mean it didn't fix everything but uh it's just it is interesting to see how that like the shoe can just you know our shoes can just mask that stuff so much and and stiffness um Cool. So you had mentioned, um, let's see. Uh, so could you talk a little bit too? Let's let's keep on that weightlifting track a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and then talking about uh, possible like so negative effects. So you're, as far as um, barbell back squatting, as far as the feet, like you do your typical, you know, barbell back squat. Coach says squat through the heels, or maybe center your pressure. I don't know. Um, but what are some some negative um, things that can happen if you're doing like weightlifting and back squatting, and you're not being mindful of the feet, or you're, you're doing it in shoes that are that are shutting things down sensory wise or what's some what's some aspects there sure so so again we have to go back to the uh to the understanding of how the muscle groups are are recruited 
uh, in the priority. So if you are not glutes dominant when you squat, your your quad is going to take over. And this is very easy to measure. We have uh, I actually work with this company called Athos. They have this EMG suit where you can wear wear it. You actually measures you know which muscle groups being used when you squat. And if you look at if you just pick a regular person when he asked to squat, when he squat down, even though his form is going to be perfect from the outside, there is zero rating in his glutes. His quad is going to be all fired up. Versus somebody from, let's say, from training for an NFL, you ask him to squat. He's going to squat. You see, you see some quad. You see glutes. You see hamstring. You see the whole chain. And then if you get some some person who's uh, really glutes dominant when they squat, you're not going to find much reading in the in the quad. You're going to see a lot more in the posterior. So it's it's really interesting. You have the same exercise, but you apply it to different people. Because their their body make because of the uh, the tension in different in foot how the foot morphs over time affects the fascia system affects the glute dominance will give you different results and so for my athletes I don't I don't tell them, tell them to number one squat is not a uh, a primary exercise they do the primary exercise is actually the hyperarchal. The, the, the only thing that they do for squat is after they're level three, they're becoming more goose dominant. I ask them to perform that. But when they perform that, I ask them to, to squat using a contact point identified by Kiani. It's not driving, the, driving, the, driving your body weight up through the heels. There is no heels. Yeah. The heels play a very, very minimum role in terms of performance. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. Yeah, people who... Um... It's interesting, even the history, because people used to squat on their toes back in the day, like the old school guys. Like they used to do these squats that they they were on the arches or the balls of their feet, and then once the, you know the need for safely lifting maximal weights came in, you know the, the heels came down, and then the the Chuck Taylors came out and all that stuff. Right, <laughs> that's really to accommodate the, the the majority of the population who are not goose dominant, right? So the majority of the people, their weight is on the heels. So if you tell them to squat over the toes, they're gonna be wobbly, and then they can't they can't balance. If they can't do that exercise, then it's it's no good. So you have to sell the squat somehow. So you have to say, okay, you, you do it from your heel. But is this is this is, is this how the elite athletes are made? I don't believe so. I don't believe they are made from squatting. They're made naturally from the difference in intention in the foot. What causes that? But luckily, the you know. If you're not born with it, you can still do a lot of work to change your 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 neurological programming of your body. You can still make your glutes dominant, and which I you know which I think I have I have done here. Yeah, that's just that's awesome. I mean, that is a game changer in my mind. That's a game changer because I mean, just coach just saying move a bar A to B. I mean, that's I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 a lot different than than dynamic athletic movement, and we do. You know, we're always going to try to say, okay, well, it helps here and it helps here, but is it optimal? It, sure, it can be good, but is it is it the optimal thing we can be doing to be good? Not only short term, but long term. You know, like an athlete's long term, eight, five, eight, ten years. You know, or or still, can you still still want to jump really high when you're forty? You know, like uh, those types of things. I, I just think that's 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 critical. That's something I've really thought about for the last several years. Um, and and I used to squat through the heels, uh, and when I did, I. I noticed a big time disconnect in my weight room strength and all my 
my movements, my sprinting, my jumping. I just, and I stopped, I, I stopped that as soon as I read a good article about it. I, I stopped doing that. And, and, uh, it's just been, it's been a great thing ever since, uh, uh two other quick questions for you. Uh, last ones I have, and hopefully I can, uh, I, I've been going a little bit out of order, but that's okay. It's been, it's been great so far, uh, Chong, and I really appreciate your, your insight and time here. Uh, so, uh, first one, I'll go with this. Uh, oh yeah, you mentioned the hyperarch hop. So, and I think you do have a video of it on your YouTube, correct? I could put that in show notes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, and that, the, the knees are bent in that, right? You, you're like hopping diagonally with the knees bent. Yeah, so so okay, so let me let me go into that a little bit. I have a video about that, and the the key thing for the hyper arc is you have to lock up your ankle via the mechanism. So you actually, first of thing, first of all, the doctors say that you know the the ankle, it's it's it, you know it, it you're gonna have ankle sprays, but that's not true. Because the reason that we have ankle spray is because lack of tension over time in the foot then your ankle become loose that causes ankle sprays it's not because your ankle somehow lacks strength it's really because your foot is it lacks strength over time mm -hmm. so once you understand that you lock up your foot with tension in the foot then your ankle locks up as a whole unit when you hop like that initially let's say you're level one you have no glutes no glutes response whatsoever you're gonna feel very difficult just hopping we're not talking about running and jumping and landing just hopping, hopping for like two minutes. Most people, regular people, kids, teenagers who, who find their, their, their athletic ability is really poor, they will not be able to continue more than two minutes, just hopping. And the, the, uh, in that position, in the, I also talk about the, the stance where you, you have your um, uh, ankle locked, your heel raise. The heel raise does not come from your pressing your foot down. Actually, the heel raise comes from trying to roll your glutes forward. Hmm. Because of the lack of tension in the foot over time, you, most people have this little bit of a posterior tilt, meaning their glutes is fall way behind them to be, able to, to, be, to be able to be engaged. They should be underneath them. So you actually have to roll your glutes forward while your feet is, is in the locked position. And in this mode, your knee relaxes forward naturally. There is no tension in the knee. So in that mold, in that stance, you hop. Then you actually is triggering this mechanism, triggering this morph, what I call the metamorphosis, stimulating the nerve to the glutes and growing back the nerves to the glutes so you can perform just like any other elite athletes yeah. over time. Yeah, so so what you're saying with the glutes, that's interesting to me because a lot of people like to think they like to coach the body in like almost like zero and forty five and ninety degree angles, and people like to say, oh, the pelvis should be totally neutral, or you know, like, but there is a little anterior tilt to it, like to get those glutes going in in sprinting and, and various movements, right? I mean, you that's how you coach it there. Okay, so what what is interesting is, uh, you know, you remember I talk about differences in, in the foot type, right? So the body actually it has differences too. Some people with bigger glutes, some people have narrower glutes. But what, what I'm talking about here is that internally, the fascia actually, when, when once it's activated and strengthened, it actually produces a lot of tension. It pulls all your body parts internally in its optimal position. So what it might look like from the outside, that this guy has a posterior toe. But actually, because the mechanism is, is working 
and he's this person is Gu's dominant and fascia compliant inside the fascia. It's it's in its optimal position. So that's what I'm talking about here. It, 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 it's very hard. I, I, I like to use this analogy. Like when you when you look at the airplane fly, you don't go just copy just the shape of the airplane. You need to understand what's going on inside the engine. What's the concept? What, you know how to design each each parts of the how each part of the airplane is designed to understand why it flies. The same thing with this. Like a lot of these coaches we have today, we only talk about what we can see from the outside. This guy has a has a, has a toe. That guy doesn't have a toe. This guy's you know move like this. Why you know it's, it's different because of difference in body. We can now use that as a measuring stick or or as a cue to our athlete. We have to use what what's happening inside. So when when the fascia system is is tightened over time through this training with the foot, everything will be pulled into place. So the per the people that I heard the most is when they started, they could move their glutes forward, meaning they can roll their glutes more. As they level up and progress, and they get more glutes response, they could not no longer do that. So what that means is like your glutes is actually pulled into its optimal position. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, different. Yeah, different feet. There's different body types. Different ways that the body uh will will use the fascia over time. Yeah, it's like. And I could never expect, uh, like one of my swimmers, to with a with super posterior tilt and super straight spine, to be able to event to exhibit, um, like something like what Usain Bolt is in their sprint. I mean, it's just like it's just different uh, different structures. I, I think that's interesting. I I, I got I got one uh, last question uh, for you, and that's uh you 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 uh, talked about this initially, uh, but uh, and it is intriguing to me. But basketball shooting and the feet. Uh, and how does that work together? And then as well too, you see this, and this is cool to me. You had a video of like Michael Jordan shooting, and you have those knees, that knee internally rotating, or the knees coming together in a way that you know all the coaches obviously do, say don't do this. You're gonna tear your ACL. <laughs> and I guess yeah, if you have terrible feet and do that, yeah, you probably would tear your ACL. Um, but how explain that a little bit? Links between the feet shooting and basketball. Okay, sure. So. There is, uh, there's two concepts. One is a person who is not glutes dominant and fascia is not responsive. When they put their knee together is different than somebody who is glutes dominant and fascia compliant. Number one, that's very important, right? To, to, mm -hmm. Because the body, the, 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 the body of the elite athlete works very differently than the body of a normal person. So when they put their knee together, they're not focusing on putting their knee together. They're actually trying to engage glutes. When they engage glutes, naturally, their knee come together when their feet are wide enough. If, if you will see the knee come together very little, if their, knee, if their foot position is very close to each other, but as the, as the width uh, increases, you will see more knee coming together. But that's not because they're focusing on their knee. Even Dirk Nowinski, when he shoots free throws, he does that. That doesn't mean he's trying to use his knee inside. He's not trying to use his knee. He's trying to engage his glutes. And that's the, big, that's the reason behind why these elite athletes do it. And there is no pressure, absolutely no pressure on the knee. When they jump like that, there is no pressure in the knee because I talk about this, the hyperarch stance where, where when, you, when your glutes are engaged, your heel raises up. There is no pressure in, in the knee. So in that sense, 
they're putting their knee together. What, what a simple experience you can do is this. You can sit down, right? Sit down in your chair. If you bring your one leg up, you bring your one leg up, your knee is towards your, your chest. Yeah. You can move your knee inside, inward. But this doesn't mean that you're using your knee. You're actually just using your hip and putting your knee inward. And that's exactly what's going on with what, what the elites are doing. They're not focusing on their knee. But the people who are not goose dominant, the pressure on their knees so much. So when they put their knee together, it's, it, it's bad. Yeah. So that's I, I tell them, you cannot copy that. You cannot copy <laughs> yeah, the yeah. form. You cannot copy Michael Jordan's shooting form by putting the knee together. But what, what the mainstream uh, uh, shooting coach are doing is they completely ignore the, the, the lower half of the body of, of the mechanics. They only talk about the hands. They say your finger has to be here, your your thumb has to be here, your elbow has to be here. And guess what? Now we have Lonzo Ball. He doesn't shoot conventional shots. He shoots from here, from the left <laughs> side of his body. But he still produced 41% in college, in threes. And he shoots way beyond, beyond the arc. It has nothing to do with your form and nothing to do with your arm. We have to view this holistically. It all comes from his feet. And guess what his feet look like? Yeah, it's the same imagine, yeah. <laughs> He's a fashion compliant athlete. Even before he was drafted, like we were talking about in, in our group, is he going to be a good athlete? We just want to get a photo of his foot. And he had a lot of those uh, pictures on his Instagram. It was easy to tell. Interesting. Oh, that's that's cool, man. I think it's just so cool how the, the integrative models, the, the, the people that are integrating all these things together, that's what's fascinating to me because – so much of it's like, is this exercise good? Is that exercise good? Like, it all starts with how it all works together. So I, I thank you for those uh, that information. I know it's probably getting towards the end of your window there, uh, and 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 for me as well here. Uh, you know, we both we both got young kids that we have to, <laughs> to take care of. So, anyways, yeah. uh, but thanks for your time today, Chang. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your insight uh, and this that integral model that you have put so much research and dedication into. So I, I know everyone's gonna get a lot out of this one. Uh, thanks again for your time. Yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity and the platform to talk about this because uh, I think you have to be really open-minded to, you know, and, and humble to, to look at this from a totally dis different perspective. You know, somebody who doesn't really have a, you know, conventional kinesiology background. You know, I have like a, you know, a science background from computer science, you know, how engineering works in general. I have a strong, you know, background in physics and, and engineering. And I think we have to look at this, you know, as 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 a community, not like okay, you you're you're you don't have this certification, you're no good. I'm I'm looking, I'm looking out for everyone, you know. Uh, so thank you again for this uh, great opportunity. All right, thanks for tuning in for that episode. Uh, again, I just love hosting people who are looking into things that other people are not thinking about and think like critical and holistic aspects of human performance. If you like the show, again, please leave us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you're listening to the show on. Hit the subscribe button. Um, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. You heard Chong talked about the EMG and squatting and the glutes. Uh, our sponsor does, uh, Simply Faster does uh, sell uh, MyOnTech shorts that will do that for you. So actually that is on um, totally on my wish list. I am hoping to get those soon. I was even more stoked after the show today uh, with that.
We will see you guys again next week with another great guest. Stay tuned until then. Have a good one.